Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. Welcome back to Making Data Simple. Today, I'm going to just jump right in. We're going to talk about culture and talent management in AI. And with me today is, is Kristen Summers, who's a distinguished engineer in cloud and cognitive expert labs. She's been working in artificial intelligence and data science, projects like question answering, entity recognition, entity co-reference, machine translations, all kinds of good stuff. She has a PhD in computer science. Again, she leads our data science within expert labs. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about today the role of culture and talent management in support of companies that are infusing AI into their business. The interesting thing about that for me, and I'll jump in to let you introduce yourself, but it's like it feels like we talk a lot about processes, people, and less about putting AI models in production themselves. So we'll talk about that. Before I do, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll jump in. Sure. I mean, I think you did a great job of introducing me. I'm not sure I have much more to say, except that I have been doing AI and data science and related things for about the past 30 years. So I often like to say I was doing data science before we called it data science. What did we call it then? We, computer we call, science? <laughs> yeah, it was a part of computer science. Uh, sometimes we called it AI. We called it machine learning. Sometimes we called it analytics, uh, various different things. All right. Thank you for being here again. So like back to my original comment, it feels like everybody wants to get into like, how do we get our models in production? But more time needs to be spent on like culture and talent management in things that are peripheral than the AI itself. Am I right on that? Can you comment? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. And, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about. When people talk about getting into AI or getting their organization into AI, they usually focus specifically on, like, how many data scientists do I need? How do I, you know, start building models and get them set up? And that's great. But if you turned everybody in your organization into a data scientist, you would not be able to get anything done. There are enormous parts of this process that surround that that are every bit as important. And you need to have a fully data-driven organization and a culture of data science and AI that involves things like how you're planning your projects, how you're identifying which data science problem to solve, uh, what are the semantics of your data, how are you doing QA, right? You need to do quality assurance, whether you're doing conventional software development or whether you're doing AI and data science, but some of the things you're looking for are different. So all of those things are super important. All right. So we're going to talk about culture and talent management. And yeah, I kind of threw you a softball there. Yes, you did. <laughs> culture to me is you know, how you feel about going to work, how you feel about when you go home. But the culture, I believe we're likely talking about here is a data-driven culture because having worked in AI for some time myself, what we find is, you know, most of the time is not spent on all the fun algorithms and models, et cetera. It's spent on data prep, data movement, feature extraction, and, and whatnot. But talk to me about data-driven culture. What does that mean? 
What it means really is that we're embracing data throughout the culture of the organization. So it doesn't mean that we're all just reduced to numbers, right? Individual judgment is super important. You need to know the semantics of that data. You need to interpret it. But it means that data is fully integrated into how you think, how you plan, and how you communicate in your organization so that you're taking advantage of the data you have. You're looking for data-driven indicators of the things you expect. You're looking to that data to understand what you need to do or what's working well and what's not, and combining that with your interpretations and human judgment in appropriate ways. Let me ask you something. A lot of times we explain this in terms of what I call the, the maturity curve or you know, to find out where clients are. And, and for the audience, you know, the picture four boxes left to right. Uh, on the left side, you got the operational piece. This is just your your database and in your applications, and that's probably the target is cost reduction. You move to the next box, to the right. You get you go into BI data warehousing. That's where you're modernizing your environment. You go to the the third box. You you're in self service analytics. You start to become insight driven. You go to the fourth box, and it's new business models. You're really putting models in production. You're using AI and transformation. I was looking back at the data and I found that, you know, we've been saying for a few years that clients are right in the middle. They're between modernization and insight driven. In other words, the second box and the third box, right in the middle. They've been there for quite a while, but I did see that the percentage went up. It's like MIT Sloan says 64% are in that spot. That means that 64% have not made the transition into self-service analytics or AI. Those numbers resonate with you? Can you talk to that? I mean, what is inhibiting the progress from left to right? Because we seem to be stalled in the middle. So those numbers do resonate with me with just a little bit of a caveat, which is that those numbers are presumably attempting to represent entire organizations as at a single point in their journey. And my experience with most clients is that different parts of the organization are at different points in their journey. And in fact, individual projects may fall into different boxes here in some cases. So I would take it with that grain of salt. And this is exactly the kind of data-driven and data interpretation processing that we were talking about earlier. Uh, But I do think it's true that there is a large quantity, 64% seems like a good resonant number that are right in that spot, as you said, between modernization and insight driven, between focusing on warehousing and focusing on things like self-service analytics. And I think that they often get stuck for a variety of reasons. One is modernization and getting from there to insights is hard. And organizations that have a lot of data and a lot of different kinds of data and data stored in a lot of different places can get very overwhelmed by trying to modernize that enough to really get to self-service analytics across the board. Because your business needs often don't match precisely to all these different stovepipes of how data is stored and managed. And so if you're going to have self-service analytics, you need to be able to go across them. And I think that's often a stumbling block. So I know you're in expert lab, so I presume you're instrumenting a lot of the enterprise transition to AI, you've worked with many enterprises, uh, and you have a playbook, uh, yet we're here to talk about data-driven culture and talent management. Are those the two biggest areas of focus in your mind? I'm sure there's lots of different pieces. 
I would say those are super important. Yeah, that they're sort of behind all of those things I was just talking about as inhibitors. I, of course, as you say, I'm in expert labs. And I think in terms of, well, why have they not taken this next step at an individual level? But you're right, more broadly, often the reason that doesn't happen is you haven't had that transformation of culture and, you know, managing talent, right? So who's going to put those analytics into place? And are we all thinking in those terms as we look at what we're doing next as a business? You need to inculcate that data-driven culture and that way of thinking about your business problems and how you're going to solve them in order to, to, to sort of push those questions to the fore. Absolutely. All right. So I need your help then, because culture can be this big umbrella as we started with. Let's break this down a bit. What do you see as the fundamentals of driving data-driven culture? Fundamentally, a data-driven culture means a few things. Uh, having a high-level strategy around data and how it's used, leveraging tools for data management and access and analytics, having organization-wide data literacy, not just a few people who understand what it means to work with data, and then communicating with and about data. That's kind of how we spell out the specifics of what I was referring to much more generally as having data fully integrated into how you think and plan and communicate. Almost every enterprise you talk to say, look, I've got a high level strategy. Sure. So then we say, great, let's talk about how your high level strategy addresses data and how you're going to use it. Are you mapping your value propositions to customers and their data benefits? Have you identified the relevant data or how you're going to find the relevant data for the things in your strategy? Those kinds of things, right, are what it means to have a high-level strategy around data that's going to be a fundamental in a data-driven culture and organization. Is it more along the lines of making sure... Uh, one, you know your data is one source of the truth. It's clean. Are we still in that mode? Are we still trying to make sure these data swamps that have been created are cleaned up and we're making decisions off the right information? And don't we have AI that can figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we still are uh, doing that. And uh, that's part of why we talk also about things like leveraging data management and access and analytics tools, right? Because we want to clean that up. And it's often not feasible to have a single source of truth for everything that you know is true. But you need to know how much confidence you can have in your different data sources and how you can access them and use them together and which things are vetted and true and which things are raw as they come in and may not be in that sense a single source of truth, but you can access them in a consistent way. One of the reasons we suggest that part of a data-driven culture is using tools for that is that if you try to do each of those things separately, individually, and by hand, you're not going to finish, right? Give me an example if, of a common tool that you use that you, uh, you would recommend to clients. So, for example, we have as part of IBM's Cloud Pack for Data, we have the Watson Knowledge Catalog. So this is a great way to maintain metadata about collections of data, access to them, have governance over them, have one place where you're kind of keeping track of that information and controlling it. And you can bring in your different data sources without having to do a full ETL and have one place where you're storing all of that. So that would be an example of good tool use. All right. Give me another example of data literacy. 
What does that really mean? <laughs> That's a great question. So, because everyone thinks they're data literate, right? Anytime you say literacy yeah, in something, right. nobody's going to say, oh, I'm illiterate. What we mean by organization-wide data literacy is that everyone knows what are the high value metrics that have relevance to them. They understand what those metrics really mean and why they're relevant. They can talk about and understand the data, again, that affects them. They're going to be your data scientists who know all the details of all the statistics of the data they're working with. And then you're going to have people in much less data-driven roles, but who still need to understand what is the data telling them, which parts of the data, you know, which kinds of data should they be concerned with, and that that's a part of how they look at their organization's performance and their plans for what they're going to do next. And also, I don't know if you said you got to map that data across the entire organization. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. One more area you got to break down for me because it's too high level, and that's communicate about and with data. What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So communicating about data means things like providing organization-wide reporting on performance in terms of data, right? If you're looking for how you perform and it's something you can measure, you should be measuring it and providing that data. And then, like we were saying at the beginning, it doesn't mean that everything is a number. One of the things that we recommend is having meetings that are focused on data points and their implications. What's going on with this data and what does it really mean for us and what do we need to do as a result? And we also are talking about communicating with data. So doing things like providing visualizations so it's very clear what's going on. It's often difficult to look at a single number and know, well, is it a good number or a bad number, right? But if you look at a trend line, it might be very clear to you, oh, that number is much lower than it was before and we're measuring something good. So it's probably not a good number for me, or you know, it's an outlier, or it isn't an outlier with respect to what's happening in the industry, and those kinds of things are, are often much easier to see when you do them visually. I heard four things then, develop a high-level strategy, leverage data management and analytic tools, uh, ensure organizational data literacy, and communicate in a, about and with data. All right, I got it. But I presume, like you said before, uh, when we were talking about the maturity curve, you said, hey, look, it's not fair to say that everybody's right in the middle because there's different projects that are you know, more aggressive or, or more progressed and some maybe that are immature. I would presume that kind of applies here in terms of where you are in a data-driven culture. So my question is, is how do you know if you're really doing this well or if you're fumbling or whatever? Because I, I presume everybody's going to say they're doing an element of this. Absolutely. And it's always a continuum, right? Everyone is doing at least some element of this to some extent, but how much are you doing? So companies who are doing data-driven culture well will generally see things like innovation across their business. More data is readily available and people know what it means and how they can interpret it and use it. And so they're going to have new ideas about what to do to address issues or to increase growth or to make things better. They're going to see learning as a priority. Right. If we're looking for new analysis and even just keeping up with the way that data science and AI are moving as a field, people are going to be learning constantly. They'll see alignment among their different business goals because they'll see all these different data points that are telling them what's important for the business. And different parts of the business will understand that and see it and they'll be, be more aligned. They'll see that their decisions are largely based on data. They'll see that as they're making decisions, it's a normal part of their process to look at the data, discuss and interpret what it means, and take that into account. 
they'll also see experimentation as an approach. So a lot of times this isn't the first thing people think of, but when you're working with data and you're doing data science and AI, in its nature, it's very experimental. You need to look at different ways of interpreting it and different ways of using it and try things out in order to know what's going to work for the next time. And so you'll see that kind of taking hold. And that also tends to encourage the innovation that I mentioned before. And then you'll see a growth mindset towards innovation in the business overall, because when you're innovating all the time, when people see what the facts are about their organization, they're seeing what the data is telling them and they're aligned and they're experimenting and they're encouraged to experiment and try things and see what works, that naturally fosters a growth mindset towards innovation and towards the business. You know, I think some people look at this and they interpret some of it as intuitive. And I would challenge that thought in the sense that two of the points that you made, ensuring organizational-wide data literacy and communicating about and with data, I would say most organizations do not do that today. In other words, the data is still controlled by IT. I think there's a reluctancy to share that data. Data is power, as we all know. And, you know, people are like maybe worried about security, all good reasons. But as a result, that tends to create silos in organizations. And if you have silos in organizations, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to instrument AI with all the information. The more, the more data you have, the uh, the better decisions you can make. It's a statistics uh, inevitability. Uh, anyway, that's the way I look at it. All right, so we said we were going to talk about culture and talent, so let's switch to talent. How do you define AI talent? What kind of or what types of skills are you looking for? Yeah, there's a variety of skills that are really based on roles. So one thing that I think is really consistent across the kinds of talent and skills is probabilistic thinking. Most AI and data science, not all, but most, uses methods that are based on probability. And so being able to think in those kinds of terms is really important. But people often think of skills specifically like knowing a lot of statistics or linear algebra, or they might think of tools and languages that are commonly used for data science, like mapping business problems to data science tasks, or managing model deployment and operation, like you mentioned before, or understanding how to create AI that's explainable. And there are also important underpinnings regarding the data itself that need to be present. Architecture, policy, governance, security, not to mention data preparation and engineering. So all of those things really come together as you look at people who can build models, select the modeling techniques, do deployment, manage them, get you to the point where you can do any of that with your data, and identify how to use them and put things into operation. The next question I'm going to ask you is, are there new roles that you believe organizations must add? What can you get by without? What must you have? But I got to believe first, you know, you start implementing AI. Do companies have to come to terms with that or just flat out going to change? Absolutely. The changes start even with the business stakeholders. So if you're a business subject matter expert, you might think, well, what I care about is the business. Why do I care about whether you're doing with AI or not? And in some sense, that's true. But your insights are really going to inform the AI process. And so you need to understand what that workflow looks like, how to articulate the business value in a way that's meaningful for an AI solution, using data to inform the problems. You're going to need to work with people a little bit in order to express what you need for the business in ways that can be supported by the available data and an AI solution. And so you're going to need to understand the workflow at that high level. 
then you get into people like business analysts who are definitely going to need to understand the AI process and success indicators and apply their knowledge of metrics and really start to bridge that, I don't want to call it gap, but make that connection between the business needs and what happens as models are built and AI solutions are built. Then also on the more technical side, look at your developers, right? Even when they're not the ones building the models or creating the AI solutions, their skill sets are going to change. They're going to need to do things like oversee the monitoring process. They're going to need to support DevOps. That's also going to change. And I'll talk about that in a second. They're going to need some AI skills so they know how to interact with these models that were created and how to integrate them into broader solutions. It's very rare that when we talk about a full AI solution, that it consists only of the AI piece, right? It's much more likely that you've integrated AI, whether it's machine learning, whether it's knowledge-based, in order to do some piece, make a prediction, make an estimate, segment some values, and give you naturally occurring data clusters, whatever the case may be. And then you have a solution, you have a piece of software around it that's going to use that and present the results to a user, combine it with other things, trigger some kind of automated workflow. So your developers are going to need to do those things and do them in the context of using this probabilistic, estimated, typically trained output from the AI. So they're going to need to understand both the AI tools and what it means to get the output from it. And then you have DevOps and IT change because they need to embrace MLOps, right? We need to maintain the models, monitor the models. In some cases, we're monitoring not only for how they're performing, but also for things like fairness. And then I always throw in there, whether you group them with developers or DevOps or separately, the QA process looks different, right? When you've got something probabilistic and you're checking that your next version is just as good, that doesn't mean all your responses are going to be the same, but it means that overall it needs to be at least as high quality. And so some of the methods you use really become quite different. All right. All right. I got it. Uh, one more on that. So what are the personas that you must add? I guess I would say this must have nice to have. Let's just start with that. Must have a nice to have. Must have, I would say, data engineer, data scientist, and you're going to need some kind of designer. Sometimes people can wear two hats, and that might also be your data scientist, but I would not count on that. You need a data engineer, first off, who can architect scalable data systems and ensure the data is ready for machine learning. They can do the transformations you need. They can do extract, transform, and load if you need it. They understand what form your data scientist is going to need it in, and they understand the repositories they have and how to get the data scientist what they need. So oh, yeah? you say data engineer, got to have it. Got to have. That's a must-have. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep going. Um, I would say a data scientist is a must-have, right? That's the person who's going to build your models. They're going to develop your predictive models. They're going to build machine learning pipelines, typically. They're typically the person who's going to recommend AI algorithms and methods. They're going to find the right ones. They're going to conduct the experiments. You must have them. All right, now pause it for a second. Now, describe a data scientist. I know that's a little silly of a question. <laughs> no, it's fair. But I see a lot of DBAs being turned into data scientists. So my question is, is what constitutes the must-have in the data science? I mean, is it that degree? Is it uh, statistics? What is it that you say, this is what you've got to have? Let's not kid ourselves. I would say it's not the degree. It's the skills. 
But I would say a data scientist has to be someone who can use data to derive significant new insights, typically statistically. So most often there's someone who is training machine learning models, but not always. They may be solving optimization problems. They may be finding correlations without using machine learning, but there's someone who's applying statistical and sophisticated methods in order to derive new insights out of the data as distinct from maintaining the data or uh, getting it into a new format, which is more of a data engineering kind of a thing, as distinct from selecting pieces of the data. You certainly want to be able to do that, or you're going to be somewhat hampered in applying all your statistical methods. But that's where I would really draw that distinction. And then, of course, well, there's a spectrum. Really yeah. the, the statistics then. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Keep going. All right. So data engineer got to have, data scientist you got to have. Keep going. So we also talk about user researchers or designers. And I would say you need to have somebody who's going to design the solution. Sometimes that's the data scientist wearing a second hat, and sometimes it isn't. So this is somewhere between nice to have and must have. You must have someone doing this. It doesn't always have to be a totally separate person. But the ideal case is that you have someone who's going to design methods and collect data for business use cases and really understand how the users, uh, what their needs are and uh, interact with them and do that sort of thing and sort of bring that to the data engineer and the data scientist. So data engineer got to have, data scientist got to have, user researcher, designer, that's a nice to have. Or, I mean, you can have people doing it, but you don't need to like hire specifically, et cetera. Any others? Depends on your scale. Yeah. And then the other would be data steward. And I would categorize that depending on your organization, that can be a nice to have. So there are definitely organizations who have data that requires so much careful control that they really have to have a data steward. But in many situations, especially if you're starting small, that's really a nice to have. That's someone who develops the data governance process to support data quality and usability and evaluation. So they're kind of controlling who accesses the data, how do we process it, how do we know when it's ready, who does what. And that's important as you get to very large scale operations. But many of the clients I work with do not have that at first. It's more of a, a nice to have. You need a CDO? I think CDOs are fantastic. I really want to say you need a CDO. Um, you'll be happier if you have a CDO. Can I answer it that no, way? Yeah. Good. So if, if IBM's CDO, Seth Dobrin, is listening, see, we don't need you, man. We don't need you. <laughs> but we're Sorry. much, much happier with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They have a comeback. See, I got to provoke the audience. I got to get them so they're sending notes in saying, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's what I love the most. All right. So we talked about culture. We talked about talent. But there's an element of talent that we haven't talked about that I think is at least interesting for me, and it's organizational structure. It seems to me there are many different ways of implementing organizational structure around AI. Some folks, you know, will say, hey, they need to be embedded with the business. Some folks say, no, no, we keep them on their own data science team. You're here to answer the question. What are the most common organizational structures you've seen? And which one do you see work the best? The most common that I've seen are three. We usually categorize them into three anyway. There's a centralized approach 
where you have one group or one department that is focused on data science and AI, and if you need data science and AI, you go to them. There's an embedded approach where you have data science and AI teams that sit in individual departments, and they're part of interdisciplinary teams. So you may have a data science and AI team that's working with your finance folks and a different one who's working with a supply chain or something like that. And then we have hybrid approaches, right? And so that's a sort of a catch-all category for everything where you have some kind of a mixture between those, where some things are centralized and some things are embedded within lines of business. Most commonly, what we see in a hybrid model is something that I call hub and spoke, where you have a central data science and AI team that really focuses on data science and AI as such. And they may do things like establish patterns for the whole organization, identify the best tools, take on large projects. And then you also have data science and AI embedded resources, at least in some of the larger departments who are doing the day-to-day work, updating model training, doing perhaps smaller projects that don't require bringing in the, the larger hub team and that sort of thing. And they're much closer to the line of business and the particular needs. So then when they do go back to the hub, they're able to convey all of that in data science terms. So I think it's probably obvious from my description, I generally find that hub and spoke is most appealing and works well. It's also something that organizations sometimes kind of have to grow into. If you're starting off, you're probably either going to start with a small group that's centralized, that's doing one or two illustrative projects to get your feet wet and show success and start growing from there in the organization, or you're probably starting with a team that's embedded in a line of business that has a particular problem that they want to solve with AI. So what I often see is that people start with one of those and then they may grow to more of a hub and spoke model. I'm glad you said the last part because before that I'm thinking, well, it's kind of a cop-out when you think, I mean, like a hybrid, but then, you know, it does make sense in the end if you start with a centralized approach because you've got to get that, uh, common understanding, that culture developed, et cetera. Anyway, I think uh, I get your point now on the hub and spoke. Uh, With that, look, is there anything that we didn't say that you wanted to get out? Or would you like to take an opportunity to kind of summarize what we've talked about in terms of culture, in terms of talent management, maybe even organizational structure, anything that we miss or anything you'd like to summarize? I would just say that I think... Things to think about in your culture are the skills, not just the new roles you need to bring in, but also how your existing roles will change to embrace probabilistic thinking, that you want a data-driven culture where everyone is data literate. And what we mean by that is part of the way that you think about things and plan and discuss issues is looking at the data and understanding what that data means and interpreting it. You want talent, again, both in new roles and adjusting your existing roles. And the best way to do that is probably to grow from a small group like we were just talking about and then expand to where it's throughout your organization. You want to set some expectations and standards with the things you do first and then broaden it. If you're interested in learning more, um, IBM definitely has all kinds of learning that we offer on this topic. You might want to go to our skills academy and look at uh, offerings there. Is it free? Does it cost money? Is it some free? Uh, How does it work? Uh, I believe there are things that are free and things that cost money. 
Okay, so a little bit of both. So go out there, test it out. We'll put it in the show notes, folks. Hey, I got one more question before we close up shop that I just, when you were talking, it, it came to mind. And that is, you know, you are a distinguished engineer on our our data science, our industry team, et cetera. How do you manage or best manage AI talent? It seems to me, I mean, managing AI talent is very tricky and trying to find someone with industry talent that also has AI skill, boy, that's a gem. How do you manage it? How do you grow it? I know you're working on this right now in the teams that you represent. Absolutely. So first I would say you're right. Finding someone who has probabilistic and statistical thinking, who has that kind of data science knowledge, who has deep industry expertise and who can program and do all of these things uh, that are sort of parts of being a data scientist all in one person, that's pretty rare. We call that a unicorn, right? So typically what you need is a team that's diverse where different people are bringing different skill sets and points of view to the table. And that's true, by the way, both with skills and with life experiences and perspectives. That's as true in AI as it is anywhere else, maybe even truer. To your question of how you manage AI talent, one key is to make learning a priority. Data science and AI change rapidly, and people with the kinds of skills we were just talking about are typically stimulated and motivated by learning new things and experimenting. And so you want to make learning a priority and get people who have some of the skills and the interest in developing the others. Also, I just mentioned people are often motivated by experimenting as well. I think another important part is to give teams the room to experiment. That's part of the culture. You want to make sure that people feel comfortable trying things out, kicking around ideas and moving forward with them. And you want to reward exactly the kinds of things we were talking about in the culture. And it's also really important to think about the specific roles you need and what's critical for those roles, what you can add, how to embrace alternative education and certifications for candidates, qualifications for those roles. Don't know what we said earlier, it's not always about the degree, it's about the skills and people get those skills in a variety of ways. You know, I have a, a neighbor kid. I think he's was valedictorian that I've been helping out. And but anyway, he is uh, he's going to medical school, and that's his track is medical school. But he's smart. He's been taking. He's been doing a lot of data science uh, along with medical school. Can you imagine how unique that skill is, and how valuable that is going to be in the end? He's a smart dude, not only on, in the textbooks, but in terms of how he's uh, shaping up his career as he's learning, going through medical school and, and becoming a data scientist at the same time. 100%. He is going to have such a rare and such a valuable combination of skills. Smart dude. Yeah, I agree. All right, Kristen, I got to play a quick game with you just for fun. I'm going to play Would You Rather. And that means you got to pick one of these, one or the other. I like to do this real quick to end because something always comes up that usually, you know, it's usually fun and usually a surprise. All right, you in? Yes, you're okay, in. Okay, sure. Yes, I'm in. All right. All right. Would you rather be in services or development? Services. No, that's a right answer. <laughs> I thought it was a trick right. question. I was like, what I are you asking me? I came from development. I came from all the people that listen to the development side are going, oh, what is he a trader now? Well, because hey. I'm in services now, right? I mean, <laughs> no, that's right. I had to go with services too, because that's where I am now. I've been in development my whole career until the last nine months. All right. AI or data? AI. 
AI. So you're what? Do you just skip the data then? You can't make any decisions <laughs> if you don't have the data. So I figured you wouldn't let me ask for clarification on the question, but I will clarify the way I interpreted it for my answer. <laughs> You need the data in order to have the AI, but my answer was about which part do I personally prefer to focus on, right? So I would rather have the data available to me and be doing the AI than focus on getting the data. Ah, very good. Fair enough. I mean, these are all explainable. I got it. Culture or talent, since we've been talking about culture or talent? Culture. Mm, nicely done. What is more important to culture, hard skills like coding or soft skills? You're going to make me choose, aren't you? Of course. So I, I claim that that's rather. a false dichotomy, but um, what is more important to culture? Soft skills. Oh, nicely done. Hey, thank you for having this discussion uh, with me today. Greatly appreciate it. Always learn a lot. Kristen, you're fantastic. And look, again, thanks again. It's been great. Thank you so much. This was really fun. All right, folks, again, thank you for listening to Making Data Simple. And as always, hit us if you have any comments, questions on almartalksdata at gmail.com. Meanwhile, I will see you on the podcast later. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.